You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Father's Day weekend, the one day that dads get to control the remote, watch sports on TV, and eat whatever we want to. Basically, just like every other day, right? Pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much what it is, right? Um, I always think it's funny, though, when you compare Mother's Day and Father's Day. I mean, how different can those two celebrations possibly be? I found a couple of tweets that I thought were just really great to kind of explain this difference. One of my favorites is Brian. My wife said that for Father's Day, I should plan an outing for just me and the kids. Exactly what we did for Mother's Day, right? Yeah, there's people clapping for that. I get that. How about this one? Um, a Mother's Day, the whole weekend, it's Mother's Day. Pamper me. Mothers, you can celebrate Father's Day from 2.30 to 2.35 p.m. It's <laughs> about what you get. Uh, this other one right here, uh, Meredith says, Dad's on Father's Day. Let's go do something as a family. Mom's on Mother's Day. Don't talk to me or touch me, right? I love that, basically. Uh, and then this one I thought is actually kind of true. Is it weird that Father's Day is twice as long as Mother's Day? Amen to that. It should be, you know. Um, but if it's your first time here, we just love you. So glad you're here, whether you're a dad or otherwise. Super excited to have you be a part of Crossroads today. Uh, and you came at a great time. We are in the middle of a, of, a, of a series about the story of Noah. And I'm not sure if there is a cooler story to talk about on Father's Day than Noah. And I'm guessing that even if you don't know who Jesus is, you're not sure about this church thing or God thing, you may have heard of, of Noah. You might have even decorated your kids' rooms when they were little in Noah stuff. But if you're brand new to us and joining us for the first time, I pull, let me pull everybody up to speed on where we've been so far so that you're invited into the story with us today. So, so far what we've done is we've seen that God created the world and what he had done is that he created it and he says, man, that's very good. It was literally perfect until Adam and Eve screwed the whole thing up. They were a man and woman. They chose to disobey God instead of follow God. And when they chose to disobey him, they brought this thing into the world called sin. And sin has wreaked havoc on everything ever since. Sin spread so quickly during the time of Noah. The world had become evil and corrupt and violent, and it was all towards one another. And because of that, it troubled God. But the word troubled in Hebrew actually means something extremely painful and full of extreme grief. God was in so much pain, so much grief because of the evil man had created that he decided to start over again, actually. God says this in Genesis 6, 17. He would say, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on the earth will perish. He says, God was so grieved and so much pain that he says, I'm going to destroy the creation that I once said is very good because now it is very bad. But as God looked down on this corrupt, violent, broken world, he did not turn his full back on it. In fact, he saw a shining light of hope that was still there in Noah and his family. Genesis 6, 9 tells us that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. God was gonna restart the world with Noah and his family because their faith in him stood out amongst all the garbage that was in this world. And it's actually the faith of Noah that we've been really focusing our attention on this series because we are seeing how important it is to have faith in God no matter what this life throws at us, no matter how dark the world might be. We are called to be a beacon of light in a very, very dark world. And God told Noah that his plan was to destroy all the earth, everything on it, but there would be a remnant of creation that would be saved. 
Noah and his family, along with a male and female of every living creature that walked on the earth or flew in the skies above the earth. And all of this, right, all this stuff would be housed within this massive boat that God said you're supposed to call an ark. And this ark would be anywhere from 60 to 100 years, or take us 60 to 100 years long to make. It would be one and a half football fields long in length. But it was not a carnival cruise ship, y'all. It was not. It had no water slide. There was no go-kart track, no ice sculptures at all. There were no B-list comedies, the comedians that were on there, nor was there a all-you-can-eat seafood buffet. Didn't have any of that. It had room for animals, on top of animals, on top of animals, and a little space for humans. But Noah was faithful. He completed this task of building this ark despite all the haters, all the hecklers, all the doubt that would have been thrown at him as he was building it over these years. And all of that led to this moment that would have had to have been surreal for Noah and his family. It's described in Genesis chapter seven, where we'll be at today. Looking at verse one and four, we read that the Lord then said to Noah, go in the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Verse four says, seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. Now, there's this technique in acting. It's known as method acting. It's actually where actors will immerse themselves in the life of the character that they're gonna be portraying so they can connect with them on a more intense, in a more intense basis. And this has produced some of the most iconic, amazing performances that the, the screen has ever seen. But it has also caused some of those actors to go a little bit too far and almost have to their detriment. An example of this is Christian Bale. Uh, he emaciated himself and lost 60 pounds for his 2004 role, The Machinist, only to pack on 109 pounds by 2005 to be able to play Batman. Crazy. Now, Jim Carrey, he was also, he almost went insane trying to play the comedian Andy Kaufman. He said that he had a hard time reconnecting with who he really was after the role was over. And Matt Damon, in a, in a role earlier in his career, he had to take medication to restart his adrenal glands on his kidneys because he had lost so much weight for this part that he had. Crazy stuff. Now, don't worry. I'm not gonna recommend that we all go on an all-fruit diet like Ashton Kutcher did to play Steve Jobs. I'm not gonna say that at all. But I am gonna ask us to do something today. I want us to place ourselves in this scene with Noah a lot so that we can start to feel what it must have felt like to be him. And, and because the concept of being connected to like the subject you're studying or the thing that you're learning about, to understand that a little bit more is really important actually. I, I think it's actually important that we, we do that because we had to allow ourselves to become immersed more in these moments with Noah so we could start to feel the gravity of what really is happening. So with that in mind, let's put ourselves in the picture that I just painted just a moment ago. God tells Noah, build this ark, and now it's time for you to get on the ark. They get on the ark, they go through the doors that they've created, the doors are shut behind them, and they're sealed, and now they wait. And they look around, and all they see, and they, all they see, all they smell, all they hear, for 150 yards, four stories high, is animals, as far as the eye can see. But did you catch a small detail in Genesis 7, verse 4, the beginning part? I think if you missed it, you, it's something powerful. Genesis 7, verse 4 says, seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth. God says, Noah, get on the ark, go, go, get on the ark, seal it, stay inside. And then it says, they sat there for seven days. For one week, they sat there. They, they, they were sealed in the ark, surrounded by animals, but on completely dry ground. God said, a flood's coming, 
But right now they look like Johnny Depp on one of those Pirates of Caribbean episodes, you know, where he's in the middle of the, of, the, of the desert, you know, remember talking about that? Right, that's what they feel like. So how in the world must have Noah felt in that moment? Did, did they look at each other and they're like, okay, are we crazy? I mean, everybody else said we were crazy to build this ark. Maybe we were crazy. Did they think about prying the door open and be like, never mind, we're good, you know? Did they feel foolish at all for what God had called them to do? I'm just wondering if maybe sometimes we feel that same way about our faith in God. That maybe you feel like he's called you to, I don't know, maybe honor your relationship so that you decide, maybe you decide to move out so you're not living with your boyfriend anymore until you get married and do things the right way. Maybe you feel like you need to leave that company because of the unethical things that are happening in that company and so you decide to leave. Maybe you decide you wanna to start to be faithful with the money that God has provided you and you wanna to give to him first and get out of debt. Maybe you feel this deep desire to rearrange your priorities and start to have God's spouse, kids, and everything else be your guide. And as you consider what you feel like God is calling you to do or wanting you to do, you check the Bible, you make sure that it's backed up with scripture, you ask some people that you trust and they're wise people, whether or not it's the wise thing to do, you even pray about it. And after you're done with that, what God's word says, what God's people say, and what God is telling you all aligns, and you believe this is what God wants you to do. And so you do it. But yet sometimes, doesn't it feel like you're stuck in the ark for seven days on dry land, clear skies? And it's then you just start to wonder, did I mishear God? And your faith gets just a little bruised in the process. Maybe your girlfriend doesn't get why you would move out and she threatens to break up with you. Maybe you find that it's really hard to find another job after you leave that job because of the ethics going on. Isn't it funny that the second that you decide to make God number one in your life with your priority or with your, with your finances, all of a sudden you get more bills and things start breaking left and right? When you start to prioritize your life with God number one at the very center of it, people start to get upset with you because now they're not number one in your life anymore. And you look up at God and you say, really? Really? Like, this is what you wanted me to do? It sure seems like this is supposed to work out a little bit differently here, God. My goodness, hand in the air, I feel this so much, so much. It just seems like, like when you start to follow God, you're like, yeah, I'm doing it. Yeah, baby, right? And then there's a season of waiting in dry land. And you just have to endure it. And I'll tell you what, your faith sometimes can start to buckle. Noah gets this. As he sits with his family inside this ark that he had built for over 100 years, surrounded by the Sacramento Zoo, he's just waiting. And he wonders, God, what are you up to? But then it happens. Verse 11 tells us, it says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 70th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were open, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Again, picture this with me. On the morning of the eighth day, all of a sudden, you're in the ark, and all of a sudden, you can start to barely hear it. One, one little drop hits the side, another drop hits the top, and you start to say, you look at each other, say, did you hear that? Did, did you hear that? And this little bit of rain starts to 
but then it, it starts to, to get a little heavier. The, the droplets that you once heard become sheets of rain and the sound on the roof, it becomes a little bit harder and you hear the, the boards starting to creak and to crack and, and, and it creates this haunting echo within the cavernous ark that's on the inside. And, and after a little bit, all of a sudden the sound changes and it becomes deafening to try to even hear. The, the animals start to get a little agitated as they sense this changing of the weather that's happening. Even the water seems to be coming from both sides, both on the underneath and the top, and it starts to have this jarring motion. And the boat that once was beached on the, sa on the sand is now, you can feel it moving and it's, and it's floating. Verse 17 tells us, it says, for 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. For 40 days and 40 nights, all you hear is rain upon rain upon rain. For 40 days and 40 nights, you just feel this rocking back and forth. For 40 days and 40 nights, all you feel is this boat getting higher and higher and higher. Verse 18 tells us the waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. For 40 days and 40 nights it rains. For 40 days and 40 nights you're not sure what's going to happen. On 40 days and 40 nights you realize that what God said was going to happen, it actually happened. And then on the morning of the 41st day, it all stopped. And what God set in motion his plan of renewal and regeneration. God was resetting the world to allow for a new beginning, a chance for the very good to happen again. Verse 21 tells us, every living thing that moved on the land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him on the ark. So on a boat called Grace, a remnant of creation was safely protected from God's wrath on the outside of that boat. And it's true that there was not hope for the wicked people on that were left behind, but the hope that was sealed inside the fortress of grace for a brighter future guided completely by God. Their faith was their covering from the painful decision that God had to make about the corrupt and violent and evil world outside. But after 40 days, 40 nights, the rain stopped but the voyage was far from over. In fact, the voyage was just beginning. Verse 24 would tell us that the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. This continued to be a journey of faith. And a very small bit of proof to this fact is found in what God did not design in the construction of the ark. 
Think for just a moment with me. God told Noah the exact, exact dimensions of the ark, the wood that he should use, the type of covering to put on the wood, how many rooms to create, how to create those rooms, the number of doors that should be on it, and the skylight and exactly where it should go. There was so much detail given in the construction that there would be no question on what to make, but there is one glaring omission from this boat design. Do you want to know what it is? It had no rudder. There was no way to steer this huge ship, which meant that it was 100% reliant on God. A, a journey of faith that lasted nearly a year was placed completely in the hands of God. Up until this point, think for a moment, Noah had all kinds of control. He built the boat, he made the timbers, he figured out how to get the animals in, he told his family, he got all the foods, all the rations, all the supplies, he did all of that, but once that door was closed and the rains came and the rains stopped, the voyage began. And they had nothing but faith. So if you get nothing out of today, I want you to remember this one idea, that faith is trusting God even when you can't see land. This is so true about our faith, isn't it? Won't God often call us to new lands, new journeys, a new closeness with him? And, and sometimes he feels, it feels like he doesn't tell us how to get there, how long it'll take, or what obstacles we'll face. Anybody been there? We are left to rely and trust in God, in our faith, not knowing how the outcome might be. Famous verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse one would say, that now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. If you grew up in church, you're familiar with your Bible, you might have heard that, might have memorized it, might even know it. You might be familiar with it. But what you might not be familiar with is later down in chapter, in chapter 11. Chapter 11 is known as the hall of faith. It lists off men and women of faith throughout the Bible. And in verse seven we read, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Noah made the New Testament, right? But notice something here very important. He made the New Testament not because of his construction abilities, not for his zoological expertise, not because of his leadership capabilities. No, what was commended was his faith. Here again, we get to learn from Noah. What do we learn is that our lives are a testament to our faith in every aspect of our life. There is not a part of your life or my life that is, is immune to our faith being a part of it, no matter what you say. Every part of us is affected and must be touched by our faith. Even if you don't have faith, that faith in unfaith is partly of what your life is all about. Warren Wearsby, who is a great author and theologian, he once said these words. You'll have to chew on them a little bit with me. He says, to understand God's truth but not act upon it, it is not biblical faith. It is only intellectual assent to religious truth. To be emotionally aroused without comprehending God's message isn't faith. Because true faith is based on an understanding of the truth. To have the mind enlightened and the heart stirred but not act in obedience to the message is not faith. For as James would say, faith without works is dead. Listen carefully. The mind, heart, and will are all involved in true 
biblical faith. What this means is that when we truly say that we have faith in God, we are saying that regardless of what someone else says, what the world says, or listen, my feelings say, I am choosing to align myself, my life up with God. To live in a congruent relationship with what Jesus says and what that Bible tells me. Man, is that difficult. That is so difficult. There are so many times, aren't there, in in life where God's plan seems to say, hey, go and do that. But it seems to be missing the, oh, and this is how it's gonna end up part. I know for me, goodness, it is harder and harder to stand as a pastor in this world, to stand firmly on the rock of God and not waver. It is hard. Why? Because to know that what God says about nearly every topic in our world is exactly the opposite of what people are thinking is so fatiguing. And I so wish that as I read this Bible that he would be a little bit more fluid in what he thought when it comes to some of these hard issues. But you know what? Every time I read it, he's not fluid. He's very clear. His word is clear and his his character is flawless. So what I do, even though it's difficult, is I stand firm on my faith. I stand firm in what God says. No matter what someone else says, even if it's hard to do, I say I am standing on the word of God, what he says. Because that is what faith is. Oftentimes, God will call us to something challenging or crazy or really difficult or even scary to do, but that's the voyage our faith must be prepared to go on because it's on those voyages that we trust God more even when land seems to be really far off and we're not sure how we're gonna get there because faith is trusting God even when you can't see land. That's what faith is. The Apostle Paul says it beautifully in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. He would say, He would say this, he says, for we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, not by sight. Listen to me, though. I don't want you to think for one second that having this type of faith isn't powerful, effective, or honoring to God. In fact, this type of faith right here, even in the smallest amount, is amazingly powerful. Consider what Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 17. After even they they had a moment of, of lapsed faith, He would tell them this, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. He's saying even the smallest amount of faith that might be microscopic, unable to be seen by the human eye, even if you have that much faith, it is so powerful, so powerful that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, Paul would later say. You see, Noah didn't see land for nearly a year, you guys, which would have been how brutal on his family. But he and his family says they kept the faith. So this means that we also must make sure that our eyes are fixed on Jesus, even when the waters are rough, even when the world says you're crazy, even when life is difficult. Even when it seems like God is really quiet, we have to remember that he's always there and he's guiding us to the safe harbor of his love. And his grace. And I know what you're thinking. It's easy for you to say, preacher sneakers. That's no problem, right? You, you must have this all together all the time. Your faith must be as shiny as your bald head. Like that must be, like you must have it all figured out. And if you're thinking that, y'all got it wrong. I got my moments. Moments where I feel like God is really silent. I get mad when he's not acting on my schedule, doing the way, things in the way that I think he should be doing them. 
I have doubts when I feel like he doesn't make the path really clear on which way I should go. So I get it. But I've found in those moments that I have to keep holding tightly to the truth of what I do know about God. I remember the countless ways that he's shown up in my life in the past. I remind myself of what I know to be true about him in his word. I look at the lives of so many faithful people around the world who have it so much worse than I do, but yet keep their faith and I stay fixed on those moments. And it's in those moments that I trust that even if it seems like he's slow, it might just mean that it's gonna take a little bit longer to get to where I need to go. But keeping our faith is so critical so that we don't miss out on the step of obedience that later will lead to a blessing in our life. So why do I tell you this? I tell you that so you don't give up on your purity convictions. I tell you that so you don't bend to the ethical standards in your work just to have a job. I tell you this so you don't lose sight of getting out of debt and honoring God first with your money. I tell you this so you, do, you, you don't stop putting your priorities in the right order of keeping God at the center of all that you do. I tell you that so you will keep the faith. The journey just might be a little bit longer than you thought, but keep the faith. But for a moment, what I want us to do is take us back to that boat with Noah. And I want us to immerse ourselves into the scene again to think about what it might have been like. Now, I've had the privilege of being on a couple of cruise ships in my life, and I love to cruise, okay? I know there's a chance that thing could break down, right? The boat could break. I get it, like the engine could start on fire, everyone could get sick, and I have to quarantine for six months. Like, I could, they could run out of crab rangoon while I'm on there. Like, I get it, okay? But we're gonna roll the dice. Shri and I were like, let's go. Let's just roll the dice, right? But here's what happens when you're on a cruise ship. Sometimes you forget that when you're on a boat that big, like a mini city, you forget that you are literally in the middle of the ocean. Like you're floating in the middle of the ocean, so far from civilization, it is ridiculous. And, and that is really crazy to think about, especially at night. Now, one of our creative team, uh, we were planning the service, they found this video, which I thought was just so cool. It was actually somebody videotaped what it was like to be on a cruise ship in the middle of the night. I thought it was really, really powerful. So I want you to take a look and I want you to listen, just for a second. At night, this looks scary. Like you don't see nothing. If you've never seen the middle of the ocean at night, this is how it looks. There's a thunderstorm all the way down there. Now I know what you're thinking. That was really dark. I don't really know if I saw anything, right? It's basically what you're thinking. And you're right, because it's the ocean in the middle of the dark, right? But it's powerful. Now, if you'll do this for me, if you'll give me a little creative liberty for just a second. So Bible over there, PV over here, 
okay? These are my thoughts, just my thoughts, just for a second. For a second, I want you to think about this. Imagine that you're Noah and you're on the ark. And after a long day of tending to the animals and caring for your family, you, you come up to your favorite place on the ark just to reflect. It's, it's that window opening just right underneath the roof line. And, and you know exactly where it's at because after all, you, you built it. And after the rains had stopped over those 40 days and a few days later had passed, the ark seemed to settle into this normal wave pattern that you could almost predict. And you found that when you went up to that, to that little window, you could contort your body just enough to be able to squeeze through and get on the roof. Once you're up there, you kind of gingerly walk uh, on the weathered roof on the top, and you remember every plank of board that you set in there and nailed into place. After all, you made it. And you find this certain spot that just seems to work really well and you, you take some, some wool that you had, you had um, gotten from a sheep that you had sheared earlier in the day and you make this perfect spot just to be able to sit down and to relax. And you settle in to perfectly watch the sun slowly dive into the western waterline. And if you look close enough, you believe that you can see the sun shaking hands with the moon to usher in the darkness of night. And as the blackness envelops you, you're left with only the moonlight dancing on the water to remind you that light even exists. Your eyes slowly fixate on the eastern horizon, just, just hoping and praying that the sun would burst from behind that wall of water dawning a new day, even for just one more day. But until then, you're left with the dark. You're left with your thoughts. You're left with just you and God. You're left to speak into the night sky, to talk with the creator of the universe, to have your faith restored, to seek your faith, even if it's just for one more day. Talk to him. You vocalize what you have internalized all these days and all these nights. You cry out to the Father of heavenly lights as you sit in pitch black darkness. Now maybe, instead of it being Noah, what if you put yourself there? You put yourself on that roof of that boat that you're riding on in your life. And, and as you sit, looking up to the sky in the deep of night, you just talk to him about all your doubts, all your fears, your trepidations, your joys, your concerns. You just lay it all out to him. God, I know you're good, but I'm lonely, and I wanna be married. God, I... I have faith, but it's hard to see in this world that is so dark and messed up. God, I am tired of hanging on to the same hurts, habits, and hangups every day of my life. God, I, I wanna hear your voice, but all I hear is my voice telling me to give up, give in, and just go away. 
I need your love in my life because I feel like I am unlovable. God, I need you to affirm my faith because I want to believe so bad. I want to have you in my life. I just need to hear from you. What is it? What is it that you would say as you sit on the boat of your life? What do you need to tell God? As you think about this, I want you to place yourself on the roof of that ark and let the words of this song perhaps be the words that you sing to God, that you say to God. I don't know what you're wrestling with today. I don't know where your faith is at today. I'm not sure what land that you're looking for, but I'm here today to tell you that God is good, that he is still with you, that he is not far from you. And if your faith is even as small as a mustard seed, it has the power to move mountains by his strength. So my hope and my prayer for you this Father's Day weekend is that you would not find your strength in yourself, that you'd find it in Jesus. You would cling to him. And that even if land seems so far off, stay the course. Keep your faith. Trust in him. Let's stand, let's pray together as we close out today. Father in heaven, we just thank you that you've given us Jesus as the life preserver that we all need in a world that is so dark and so disconnected from you, we thank you that we have the, the boat of grace in your son Jesus. And so Father, we pray that as we climb in that boat, as we trust you more, that we would just praise your name in all things. And even if the land seems so far off and we're not sure where we're at anymore, God, we would trust you. And I know they're hurting marriages. I know there's hurting people. I know there's illnesses. I know there's marital problems. I know that all is here, but God, would you heal, would you remind us to stay strong, would we praise your name, because you're good, and we love you, help us to be light, to a dark world as we go now, celebrating our fathers and then some, we pray that you would be with us, we love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, hey, thanks for being here today, guys, happy Father's Day to you, enjoy the time, tag your it. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.